Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue this evening with our discussions and reading from the Paramatma Sandarva of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're up to the 19th Anucheta. The 19th Anucheta is the beginning of the second part of the Paramatma Sandarva. The first part dealt with the ontology of Paramatma. The second part of the presentation by Jiva deals with the ontology of the Jiva, the Jivatma. And the third part deals with the ontology of the material nature. All three of these combined constitute Paramatma's cosmic manifestation, wherein he is the primary manifester and maintainer. So in the last discussion, we went over the Anucheta as presented by Jiva Goswami. And this evening's discussion will deal uh, with a very extensive commentary on this first Anucheta dealing with <clears throat> the nature of the jiva presented by Sachinarayan Das Babaji and what Sachinarayan does is he accomplishes a few things in this commentary. The first is to introduce the reader to the various different conceptions regarding the nature of the jiva that are existent in the Indi Indian various schools of philosophy. Then what he does is he presents at the, this is a 70 page, 17 page commentary. So he does in the first part, he presents the various philosophical schools and what their conception of the Paramatma is. As we read through these, I would recommend that you just kind of absorb the overall ideas regarding the nature of the part of the jivatma that are presented by the different schools to try to pit one school against another all this will be um, unpacked extensively as we continue to go through this middle section of the paramatma sandarva dealing with the jiva but it's what this will give us is a general overview of the various trends of thought that are in existence or were in existence in relationship to the jiva. Now, in the second part of his commentary, Sachinarayan uh, Das, what he does there is he presents the Purvapaksha or the position of the Advaitin school. And of course, as we know, the primary expounder of that school of thought of course, is Sankaracharya. And the, the reason that he does this is Jiva himself does not present in his Paramatma Sandarbha the Purvapaksa, although he's of what, and what is a Purvapaksa? The Purvapaksa is the the other 
idea that is refuted when somebody's trying to make a philosophical point. He'll take the strongest arguments in opposition to his point, and he will state those first, and then he will defeat those. And in defeating those points, he will establish his siddhanta. So this is the, the way of logical presentation. And such a logical presentation as, as that um, sets aside uh, mundane, the mundane influence of egotistical thought. Going into an argument and immediately saying, I'm right. No, if I go in and I present as if it were my own, the opponent's position, in other words, I side with him. I say, this is my position. This is, this is the proper understanding of a particular uh, philosophical or theological point. If I first present that as if as as and own it honestly in an in a in a logical presentation, and then I refute it, and in refuting it, what I do is I establish with some real conviction what is the sedanta or the conclusion regarding this particular philosophical or theological point or tattva as we would call it. So in the second half of this commentary, Satchanarayan Das, he presents the Advaitin school because Jiva doesn't really, he just presents the, the, the Vedantic conclusion regarding the, the nature of the Jiva and its characteristics. It's Lakshana, it's nature. So that constitutes half of this extended commentary. So we'll begin with the different schools of thought and, and see what they are, and then he'll deal extensively with the Advaitin concept because that's the, really, the real school of thought that it, it completely impedes the conception of bhakti. It's the greatest stumbling block to bhakti is this conception of the Advaitin school that in the ultimate issue, there's only Brahman. And Brahman has no characteristics and that liberation is assimilating your Brahmanhood. You become Brahman. You merge into the Brahman. This commentary is put together so nicely that I, all I can do is read it and I'll make some comment if it's necessary, but it's, uh, it's quite comprehensive and well presented. So we'll begin here. So up to this point, Jiva Goswami has described the ontology of the Paramatma. And in doing so, he has explained Paramatma's three manifestations as the supreme regulator of the metacosm, the macrocosm, 
and the microcosm, and also his identity among the trinity of gods. Paramatma is the regulator of the innumerable jivas and the material nature, prakriti. To understand the regulator, it is necessary to understand the regulated. Just as to understand a manager, one also needs to know his field of action. As such, realization of the jiva precedes that of the paramatma. Just like to understand a king, we need to know, well, what's his kingdom? What's, his, what's the citizens like, the people? What's the culture that he's living in? What kind of a nature does does he have? But first, what you know, we can understand a person's characteristics and his. In this particular instance, we're talking about Paramatma. This is an aspect of the supreme personality of Godhead. It's an aspect of Krishna that manifests the material cosmos. To what purpose? Wajiva's already touched upon the purpose. The purpose is, well, there might be a few devotees that didn't finish the course of action. So let me manifest the whole cosmic manifestation. Innumerable planets, innumerable jivas, but of those there are a few, when I wrapped it up last time, that didn't finish. So now, let me do it again for their benefit. So everything from Jiva Goswami's viewpoint is based on bhakti, based on the love of the Supreme Lord for his devotees. It's not that he's, well, he's somewhat indifferent to those that are indifferent to him. He gives them full facilities to give up their indifference and what is the facility? Well, he sets the whole thing in motion again so that those devotees who didn't finish up, well, they'll still be in the cosmic manifestation and by their good association, the other jivas that are completely indifferent to me will, will have an opportunity to also be exposed to bhakti. So everything from jiva's presentation He's looking at Krishna's material manifestation. Everything that the Supreme Lord does is based on reciprocation with the devotees, whether in the material realm or the spiritual realm. So here we're looking at that aspect of the Supreme Lord that manifests the cosmos. And we've, in the first 18 Anuchetas, what Jiva Goswami has presented is the this manifestation of the Lord, Paramatmati, this manifestation from which the cosmos is generated, Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu, and regulated through the Guna avatars, Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva. So now, to have a deeper understanding of all that is entailed in that manifestation and regulation 
Let us take a look at the jiva, the regulated, and in doing so, we'll better understand the regulator. And truly, that is our beginning course also for those jivas who've come to the human form of life. What do they, where do they begin if they turn their consciousness towards self-realization where do they begin generally an observation of themselves to understand where i fit in to the whole spiritual picture if i look in that direction where did i come from atato brahma jignasa now i have this human form of life what's going on let a, let me inquire into my very nature and through that inquiry um i generally i look my nature means what i really am so we generally begin by looking at ourselves and then we say oh okay this is these are my characteristics and from that we can look beyond. So in a similar way, here, what's being presented is to understand Paramatma completely. Well, let's understand the nature of what he's regulating. What is the nature of the jiva? The commentary continues. Jiva, Sri Jiva began his entire discussion of the knowable, Pramaya, with the f- famous Vedanti verse, cited first in Tattva Sandarbha Anucheta 51. Vedanti tat tattva vidasa tattvam yash janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. His exposition of the knowable was continued right through the Bhagavat and Paramatma Sandarbhas. Has continued, I'm sorry. On the basis of contextual correlation, Prasanga Sangati, in which succeeding topics are auxiliary to preceding ones, Sri Jiva took up the discussion of Paramatma first and not that of the jiva. For this reason, he now begins a new topic delineating the essential nature and qualities of the jiva, beginning with this Anucheta and continuing to Anucheta 47. So he's going to deal with this for about 30 30 sections, 30 Anuchetas. And it's interesting, we we see here and even in his presentation, look at the level of an attention to detail that a great philosopher takes, like Jiva Goswami, which in our viewpoint, and we're not alone in this viewpoint, is the greatest logician. He's following this a, a simple methodology that any philosopher of substance follows. You first 
present the main point and then the supporting points, the auxiliary points. And he's following, you know, this contextual uh, presentation of prasanga sangati. Shujiva began by first citing four verses from the Padma Purana. In other words, he began this particular section or Anacheda uh, by citing four verses from the Padma Purana, which describe the nature of the jiva. He then quotes four more verses of Jamatri Muni, which paraphrase the Padma Purana verses. Ramya Jamatri Muni, 1370-1443, was a follower of Ramanujacharya and popularly known as Varavara Muni. He was also called Manavala Mahamuni and was the founder of one of the Sri Sampradaya's two main sects, the Tengali, Tengali school. We have not been able to trace the exact source of these verses. In the upcoming Anuchetas, Jiva Goswami analyzes the statements of Jamatri Muni and provides supporting references from Bhagavat Purana. So naturally, you know, you'd think when he started this section, he would have started with the Bhagavat Purana as the Praman. But he quotes from the Padma Purana. But what he's going to do is he's going to take every section, every statement regarding the Jiva that was made from the Padma Purana and this uh, commentary of Jamatri uh, and give the evidence from the Bhagavat Purana, to support it. He, he apparently found some real substance here from the Padma Purana that gave a nice synopsis of the nature of the jiva. And it had everything in it, especially when he used um, the four verses <clears throat> from Jamatri that also brought in these three other items regarding the nature of the jiva. It's a, having agency, it having, having an ability to, to acquire knowledge and uh, 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 to, to affect... Uh, experience. experience, right. So, he's, he is going to use the Bhagavad Purana as his praman for the whole section. But he started here because everything was presented in a nutshell manner. And now he's going to unpack that for us and expand upon it. What is it he's going to expand upon? Why does Sri Jiva prefer Jamatri Muni over Padma Purana? When Jamatri virtually repeat the words of the Purana. Remember, he first presented the Padma Purana, and then these four verses <clears throat> from Jamatri. Our guess, he's saying, our guess 
our logical guess uh, is that Gematri adds three characteristics that are not stated there explicitly, meaning there being the Padma Purana. He adds three characteristics, namely knowership, cognitive awareness, doership, conation, and experiential capacity, effectivity. The Advaita Vedantists do not accept these three as inherent capacities of the jiva intrinsic to its very nature. Jiva says, yes, they're there. Well, the Advaitins, they do not accept that. If you don't accept these, um, it's going to be hard to apply bhakti as a valid, a valid school of Vedanta. There'll be no validity if the jiva doesn't have the ability to, for what? To be aware. Now, that isn't to say that the Advaitin school doesn't attribute awareness to the jiva, but that awareness is what? It's only awareness in relationship to the material manifestation, which is looked upon as what? Ignorance. It's a, it's a vidya. So, if that awareness doesn't is not in intrinsic in the jiva, then if it, it if it dissolves when the jiva attains mukti in Brahman, there's no necessity of awareness there. You're only you only need awareness in order to it for to acquire or attain revelation and to actually merge in Baran. Once you're there, there's no need. You're you're situated in Brahman. You're in bliss and there's no there well, there's no really defining characteristics there. It's all one. And you're part of the all. So these things are very important. Cognitive awareness, doership. What's the question of bhakti in, liber in a liberated state if you can't do anything? If you can't love anyone, how can you... You can't even love Brahman. You have no... So it kind of destroys the whole, the whole ideal of bhakti. So these these characteristics have to have to be there, and to experience. <laughs> if you can't experience love, you know. If you can't experience bhakti, if you can't experience the Lord's internal swarup shakti, then well, I guess we don't need a book like Rupa Goswami's. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. There would be no need to, to, to see all the ways to exchange love with the Supreme if, well, what is it? You don't have the capacity to experience because that dissolves when you attain perfection in Brahman. So these qualities, you could see Jiva's 
why, you know, he was very specific to use these things, this one analysis, Jamatri Muni, uh, as the beginning place from which he begins to explain the characteristics of the jiva. The Advaita Vedantists do not accept these three as inherent capacities of the jiva intrinsic to its very nature. Rather, they view them as limited adjunct of the self having empirical validity only. They're only there when there's something to observe within the material realm, the phenomenal world. These views stand diametrically opposed to the core teachings of the theistic Vedanta, or in other words, of the Vaishnavas, including Jiva Goswami. For Vaishnavas, it is crucial to acknowledge the Jiva as eternally distinct from and subservient to Paramatma. For this to be possible, the Jiva must be inherently endowed with knowership, agency, and experiential capacity. Now Jiva goes forward and gives us a little bit of knowledge as to defining characteristics, and then he's going to outline the defining characteristics of the Jiva according to these various schools of thought. I'll read on. An object has two types of defining characteristics. Lakshana is the, is the name for defining characteristic, called Tatasta and Swarup. The purpose of, def, of defining the characteristics of an object is to distinguish it from other objects, both similar and dissimilar, in order to determine how to deal with it appropriately. Tatasti, tatasta extrinsic or incidental defining characteristics are those that are identifiable as extraneous to the object being defined. Tatasta or extrinsic or incidental defining characteristics are those that are identifiable as extraneous to the object being defined which do not belong to its essential nature, but by which it is commonly recognized. I'm a man. Now, when I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a soul in a body. So, now I have gray hair. My hair used to be not as gray as it is now. So that is, that's uh, tatasta. It's, it's, not, it's not of my true nature. You can't define me, myself, who I am, by the fact that I, you can, it's a characteristic, but it's not part of my swarup, my, tr my intrinsic nature. Actually, Neither is being a man part of my intrinsic nature if we take it one level and look at the nature of the soul, the jiva. So the body itself is what? Tatasta. It's not of the nature, true nature. So what we're going to be going over here are all the swarup, 
characteristics of the jiva, not the tatasta at this point, which do not belong to the essential nature by which it is commonly recognized. Swarup characteristics are those that are part of the object itself, essential and intrinsic to it. The tatastic characteristics of the jiva were given in Srimad Bhagavatam 5, 11, 12 as cited in Anacheda 1, in the very beginning. Remember, at the beginning of this work, the presentation of Paramatma Sandarbha, we were presented with the nature of the Paramatma and the Jiva. And what were they? They were Shetragya. They were observers of the Shetra, the representational field. So what was the nature of the Jiva in the first of those two verses, well, actually, it wasn't. It was one verse, was it not? With the first two, with the first pada explaining the jiva, and then the paramatma in the second. So there, in that verse, or in that first anucheta, there it is said that the jiva is conditioned by the mind, and thus bound to the material world. The pure, unbound, unconditioned being is called the Atma, whereas the conditioned being is called the Jiva. The Tatasta characteristics of the Jiva. The nature of the Jiva, it is conditioned by the mind and thus bound to the material world. But that's Tatasta. It's the majority of jivas, but that doesn't that definition is Tatasta. Why? Well, there's those are the Jiva Bhattas, the Buddha Jivas. There's also the Mukta Jivas, like Sukadev, like the Kumars. They're they're not bound by the mind. They're not conditioned by the mind and they're not bound to the material world, although they're in it. The way that Sachinarayan Das presents his commentary, he does, in a couple places, make this distinction that the terminology for the self in relationship with the material manifestation is jiva. The liberated jiva doesn't, no longer carries that jiva nomenclature. In other words, jiva is to paramatma. In other words, the material manifestation is comes in into being by a, an a manifestation of the Supreme Lord called Paramatma. Now, what do we know? In, the, in Vaikuntha realm, this term Paramatma and its specific, I guess we can say functionality, 
you know you want to, you don't want to give a job the supreme a job but <laughs> you get the point that the functionality of the supreme lord in relationship to the cosmos is he's referred to as paramatma now in the vaikuntha realm those things that paramatma does here situated in everyone's heart fulfilling the desires of everyone since time immemorial uh, the the observer the proprietor the regulator those things are all done personally by the supreme in the transcendental realm he doesn't need a separate manifestation he just those things are just they're part of his nature in transcendence so we can look at the nomenclature of jiva as we can look at the nomenclature of paramatma Paramatma nomenclature is the Lord in relationship to the material manifestation. The Jiva nomenclature is the self in relationship to that material nature, the, that potency of the Supreme Lord, his external energy, Bumir Apo, as he says in Bhagavad Gita earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. All these comprise my separated material energy. Then aside from these, there's another, which are all the living entities who are within that material nature. That reference to those entities who are in material nature, whether they be liberated or not, is jiva so we use mukta uh, jiva jivatma and uh, what is it jivan mukta. jivan mukta yes thank you jivan mukta so we'll just leave that aside we're not going to get into oh it's a jiva it's an atma you know we're talking about the jiva so we're talking about the fact of the conditioned living entity and there are some jivan muktas who are within the material, but they're still referred to as jiva. Why? Because they are here. The pure, unbound, unconditioned being is called the atma, whereas the conditioned being is called the jiva, except for <laughs> the jivan muktas. Right. The cause of conditioning is the beginningless ignorance, anadi avidya, of the self's real identity or swarup, which results in absorption in the mental modifications, chitavritti. In this Anucheta, Sri Jiva begins a description of the Jiva's swarup. Different schools of Indian philosophy have different concepts of the Jiva. A summary of these views is presented here. So, Sachin Das here is going to present the Purvapaksha. What are all these, what do these other schools think? Jiva's not going to do that specifically in his presentation. He's just going to present to us in his Paramatma Sandarbha what's the nature of the Jiva? What's its true characteristics? 
It's swarup. What's the swarup of the jiva? Swarup lakshana. Characteristics. A summary of these views is presented here. The Charvaka or Lokayata school, Buddhism, Jainism, Nyaya, and Vaisiseka, Mimamsa, Yoga and Sankhya, and Advaita Vedanta. So these are all the schools that he's going to review. And some of them he's going to put together. So first he's going to present um, Charvaka and Lokayata school in this commentary. And he's going to open his presentation of this by telling us there are no original works of this school available at present. Well, then where'd you get the information? One would naturally ask. You're going to tell us about these schools of thought. Well, where'd you get, where, where, where is your, oh, your knowledge of these schools coming from? The way that the other schools argued against them using the standard ways of logical presentation. First, you present the other school and then you defeat it. So that's where, because in the other schools, they did deal with these. So even though this school's works are extinct, still we have knowledge of what they thought from the schools, the other schools. There is no original works of this school available at present. Whatever is known about it is concluded from other schools who cite its views as Purvapaksha and refute them. The Sarva Darsana Sangraha of Madhvacharya, a work belonging to the 14th century, provides a summary of the school in its first chapter. So the Madhvacharyas first presented this in one of the works. No, it actually says Madhvacharya, not the school. He himself, in his own work, presents it. His work is called Sarva Darsana Sangraha. Prabodha Chandrodaya, Act 2, an allegorical play also depicts the salient features of the school. Sadarsana Samuchaya, an 8th century work of Haribhadra Suri, also summarizes the doctrines of this school. Referenced to Lokayata followers, it, I'm sorry, reference to Lokayata followers is also found in the works of Buddhism, such as Diga. Nikaya and Majhima Nikaya. Brihaspati Sutra was supposed to be the original text of the Lokayata school. So now we know this is where we can get an idea of what this school's presentation regarding the Jiva, where it came from. Just to review, what, what's this Purva Paksha mean? 
It is a dialectic approach. Taking a thesis by an opponent, Purvapaksha, and then providing its rebuttal, Kandana, so as to establish the protagonist's views, Siddhanta. Mm-hmm. The Char- Charvaka schools considers the body-mind complex itself to be the self. The body-mind complex is the self. So this is the Lopiyaka school? Both of them together. The two hold have these common... Is it or? Yeah, or. So that it's... Charvaka or Lokayata. There is no Atma or Self separate from the body. Charvaka holds that consciousness is an epiphenomenon. The outcome of a combination of material elements. They admit only four elements, earth, water, fire, and air. It is a doctrine based exclusively on sensory data. Therefore, they do not acknowledge the existence of ether, the Atma, and God. The elements are considered eternal, but their combinations undergo different modifications and dissolution. Consciousness is a byproduct of matter. It is produced when the elements combine into a particular coalescence. Although the elements separately do not possess it, just as fermented yeast produces an intoxicating quality. So you put these elements together and voila, you have a self. And as long as the self is there, it's cons- as long as it's all those elements are together in a self, you have what is their conception of, well, the self. Uh, there's no separate self than that bodily conglomeration of earth, water, fire, and air. And their understanding of elements is there's no subtle body. There's not even ether. So it stops. Earth, water, fire, air come together and then you have a self. In the Charvaka realism, consciousness is observed to be associated with the body and it disappears when the body disintegrates. The Yatma is just the conscious living body. The pronoun I refers to the empirical self. One uses the pronoun I to refer to the gross physical body when one makes statements such as I am fat, I am thin, I am weak. This is because the body alone is the true self. As such, it is very dear to all beings and they try to protect it at any cost. A person can sacrifice anything for his body. It is also said, and this is a quote from the Pancha Tantra, I'm sorry, Tantra, Pancha Tantra, 
One should abandon a family member to protect the whole family. Sacrifice a family for the sake of the village. Disavow a village to safeguard a district. To protect the self, the Atma, one should give up the whole earth. Well, considering that the self, those four elements together are what you are, you're going to do everything within your power to continue to exist because that's the nature of the self. Every self wants to self-perpetuate, so to speak. So you're going to... Because it knows it's really eternal. No, it knows it's, it's only there as long as the elements are together. When the elements dissolve, it's gone. That's their school of thought. The Charvaka school averts that the word Atma Self in this verse is used for the body. According to Siddhi Triya of Yamunacharya, there are various theories of Atma within the Lokayata school. Some consider the Atma as the gross body, others as the senses, the mind, or the vital air. Now we get into slight variations within a school itself. Others would come along and say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's, you know, so maybe, maybe the self is, it, it could be referred to as the senses, but this, where the senses come? Well, they came from an amalgamation of these other elements, so. But the self resides in the senses, not in the in the gross elements of the body itself. But really it boils down to the same thing, doesn't it? Because we do not have access to the original works of the school, it is hard to say what exactly their view entailed. The knowledge we have is only from the works of other schools who may have addressed only the weakest points in their metaphysics with a view to refute them. So the Purvapaksa, they may have just presented an overview that was easily defeatable. defeatable. Yes. From the name Lokayata, it appears that their philosophy was materialism, like the modern scientists who treat consciousness as a byproduct of the body. So they're still in existence today, we could say. <laughs> Dr. Ramakrishnana writes, Lokayata directed to the world of sense, is a Sanskrit word for materialism. The seed conception of materialism can be found in the Upanishads. For example, the Tatariya Upanishad says, Indeed, this body made of the essence of food is the self, Atma. So it's not that they didn't have some scriptural reference upon which they could base as authoritative their presentation of the self. In Brihad, Aranyaka Upanishad, the sage Yajnavalkya says, a husband is not dear for the sake of the husband, but for the sake of the Atma. According to the Charvaka school, the word Atma here refers to the body of the husband because the wife loves the husband's body, not something invisible beyond the body. If one objects that the wife does not love the body, the dead body of her husband, Charvaka replies that this is so only because the 
consciousness in the body ceases to function. Death for them means that consciousness, which is a byproduct of the body, comes to an end. In Vishnu Purana, we find Maya Moha's instructions to the Daityas, which conform to materialism. Similar instances are found in Ramayana and Mahabharata Santiparva. This philosophy of the Atmas being equated with the body, the senses, the mind, or the vital air has been refuted in Tattva Sandarbha. Anujatis 53 through 60. Are there any questions? So interesting stuff. I hope you find it interesting.